My goodness, it's warm. Hey, Phil. Hey, Laurie. It is super hot, isn't it? We're in the middle of a little heat wave. Whatever that song is. I don't know what song that is. You know, uh, that's, it doesn't matter. Martha and the Vandellas, about a bit like that. <laughs> no, welcome to the Super Baby Bros in Movie Land podcast. I'm Phil. I'm Laurie. Welcome to Movie Reviews, old and new and fantastic movie chit-chat. We've had to open one or two windows in our special glass cube from which we record. Where yeah. is it? It's, uh, we're in Trafalgar Square or something, aren't I we? I have no idea. Suspended in mid-air in a glass cube. I'm Something just trying to like paint a glamorous like picture David Blaine. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. yeah. So when the window's down, you might hear some summery ambiance, but it is, you know, not possible for us to go without some fresh air. Laurie's basically in his speedos. Thanks for that, Phil. Now I can't <laughs> say I'm not, because the image is already out there for the listeners. That's the magic of audio. <laughs> mm. But it's not true. Oh, uh, sure. We've got great films coming up for you this week, listeners. I have been to see Baywatch, the new remake with Dwayne Johnson. I've also seen The Red Turtle, which is unusually the first Studio Ghibli production made by a European director and animated in Europe as well. And I was lucky enough to go along to a Q&A with the director himself. Were you really? Yeah, did you not know that? No, you didn't tell didn't me that. that. Well, well that's exciting. For you, yes, I'm excited. Thanks. I've gone to see Amy Schumer's new comedy, Snatch, also starring Goldie Horn, her first film in 15 years. I know, yeah. Interesting, isn't it? I quite like Goldie Horn. I'm curious to know what you think. We've also got some what we've been watching as per usual. Laurie, what are you watching? I have been to see, well, I watched Terminator 2. And I've been watching Pain and Gain, mm. that Michael Bay film. Mm. Well, let's talk about it later. Let's mm. talk about it later. And we've also got a really silly little segment, as per usual, which we're not going to spoil here because I think it's fun. It is fun. It yeah, is very looking fun. forward to that one. And of course, we've got emails and tweets at the back end of the show. Yes, thank you very much for being in touch. Check out superbaileybros.com slash Patreon. No, hold on. Patreon.com <laughs> slash superbaileybros. Come on, man. We uh, didn't do this for ages. If you're interested in supporting the show. And uh, Benedict Seal. And I are due to chat after we've recorded this show. So listen out for some can specific tidbits if it isn't part of the show when this has come out. And also, in case this is coming out late on a Friday, I do apologise. But it's because I've been invited to contribute film reviews and things to Tony Blackburn's BBC Radio Berkshire show on Friday morning, which is normally when I'd be editing the show. So, you know, listen out in the past for that. <laughs> uh, and well, yeah, let's get on with the show, shall we? Yes, if you'd like to contact the show, you can reach us at superbabybros at gmail.com or you can tweet us at superbabybros. We love hearing from you guys. Send in your plus ones, your minus ones, if you agree, disagree, and all your thoughts on our reviews. That is the Badger. Let's go. I feel like I'm doing really well now at this stuff. You reckon? Yeah. Well, you spoil it now, haven't you? Ah. Phil, would you like to pretend with me that we all know the Baywatch theme song and it's so classic and cheesy? as if we actually watched it when we were younger uh thing is i i that's not honest man yeah, but the thing is this is what you do phil everyone says everyone knows the theme song and everyone used to watch it and all oh, the hoff is hilarious i i my main experience of baywatch is through friends chandler and joey enjoying that's baywatch. true isn't it yeah <laughs> this is a, it's a theme tune like all like ah, ah, like it's all graspy <laughs> graspy know, uh, women sort of that, doing musical notes I thought it was more like the Top Gun thing. Do, 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 like that kind of... Look, this is besides the point. <laughs> Guess what? It's been remade for a movie. <gasps> and is it a raunchy comedy? Well, yes. Let's get on to that later. First, I was kind of amazed. In the last two years, this makes it the fifth TV series that has been transported to the big screen. You know, it's nothing new. People have been doing it for years and years. But isn't that a, a, a surprisingly high number? I, I don't... It doesn't surprise me at all anymore with Hollywood. They're basically just going for whatever they can find, which has an audience built in. And but Baywatch is 20 years old. Like, is there an audience still? 
But it's it's everyone knows about Baywatch. I mean, I I didn't ever remember watching a single episode of Dallas. You remember that soap? Yeah. But you know about it, don't you? Yeah. Built-in audiences. If they made a Dallas the movie, people would go see it, guaranteed. But is this a weird thing that I've missed? Where people pretend to be nostalgic about stuff they didn't actually see? Is that a thing? I think it is. Yeah. A lot, like this, the audience this is aimed at were not people who would have watched it in their twenties. Do you know, like they would they would be forty now if that were the case. But then. You've got people like me who have heard about it because of things like Friends and... And the interweb, of uh, course. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, Hasselhoff is kind of this weird meme, isn't he, online? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone knows who David Hasselhoff is. So he- they're making jokes about him in Guardians of the Galaxy 2, of course. Exactly, exactly. So I feel like it's still culturally significant, even if people haven't seen it. Well, there we go. There's a little bit of cultural discussion for you, listeners. Let us know which side of the fence you <laughs> No, sister. let's not do that. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Dwayne The Rock Johnson has been brought in to replace Hasselhoff as Mitch Buchanan, the head of the Baywatch team on a sort of unspecified Miami beach. He's got a team of raw recruits in this remake and he needs to get them into fighting shape, not only to keep uh, beachgoers safe in the rough waters, but also apparently to solve crimes because there's drugs that keep washing up on the shore that are deadly and rather than go to the police with all this stuff because it's on their beach, on their turf, Mitch instead wants to do all the digging himself. So it's this weird sort of spoof beachy crime series which i believe is actually a slight departure from the tv show which occasionally had sort of crime things happening but they weren't like an investigative team i don't believe no i don't think so I'm going by are... judith because judith said she used to watch it <laughs> <laughs> that's her thing so if you know better than me then uh, then do say it's ringing bells of 21 drum street basically that kind of thing right 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 yeah the big talking point well is it a talking point i don't know is that zach efron has signed on for this he plays matt Brody, a disgraced two-time swimming Olympian who managed to mess it all up, basically, from a party boy lifestyle. So now he's looking for a good PR opportunity and comes down to the beach to join the Baywatch team. He's very cocky. They need to take him down a few pegs. Basic story stuff, right? Yeah. You've also got CJ, who's played by Kelly Rohrbach, I think, and she is basically playing the Pamela Anderson role, you know, the glamorous beach person that everyone loves. Yeah. Uh, You've got Alexandra Daddario. Does that name mean anything to you, Phil? Uh, she is an actress. She was one of the kids in uh, How I Met Your Mother. I yes, believe. I and think that's right. And she was in uh, True Detective as well. And she's Percy Jackson up. as yeah, well. Yeah, she was. She was Percy's friend. She's good in that, I thought. And I think she's great in this. She plays Summer, who is sort of the love interest for Zac Efron. She's a no-nonsense type, raw recruit, but wants to work really, really hard. Are you enjoying this cast list, Phil? Uh, and then John Bass, or John Bass, who I, I haven't come across before, but he is playing a guy called Ronnie, who is overweight, and apparently, you know, apparently the film thinks that's funny in and of itself. Uh, lots of jokes about him not being sort of a fit physical specimen but he also works really really hard and wants to join the Baywatch team and he of course has massive hots for CJ Gotcha. Priyanka Chopra who is quite a well known Indian actress is playing a sort of real estate mogul with interests around the beach she may or may not have something to do with the drug smuggling and I've just realised I've forgotten another cast member because she's basically almost doesn't feature in the film, she plays the most boring role, it's a bit annoying that she does Ilfanesh Hadira plays Stephanie and I needed to bring her up because you're about to hear her in a clip. This is uh, veteran Baywatchers Stephanie and Mitch interviewing Matt Brody for the Baywatch team. And, of course, he's a bit cocky. Ready for this? Yep. Hey, Steph. Hey. New Kids on the Block here is from Iowa. Oh, really? Let me ask you this. A lot of oceans in Iowa? No, just ponds and lakes and cocky pretty boys. Hey, Mitch, what happened to that last pretty boy recruit we had? He died. What is this? Lifeguard hazing? I'm Matt Brody. Hold the world record in the 200 meter. Hey! Matt Brody. Matt Brody, yes, absolutely. And we still (gasps) don't don't give give a a flying hoot about your swimming achievements. (laughs) Yes. 
There we go. That was actually past the clip. It may have sounded like me, but it was past the clip. Yeah, so you know what? People are predicting this is going to be a big flop. People are ready to slate it because it's Baywatch and it's cheesy and who cares anymore? And Zac Efron, I think, is suffering a bit of a dip in his popularity, apart from being shirtless most of the time when he seems to be at his best. So so it would seem on social media at any mm. rate. Uh, and I want to go against the grain. That's what I always do in these things. <laughs> I kind of liked it. I think what's really quite remarkable about this film is the way it toes the line in so many different areas because Baywatch is a really odd property to bring back to life in this new age like 20 years ago is probably a bit more acceptable to do the friends thing right they make jokes about it they just want to watch the women run in slow motion that yeah, was beautiful famous. women doing kind of simple TV stuff. Yeah, and David Hasselhoff's a big shirtless man, but he's really hairy, isn't he? Like, I mean, I, I, I don't think it was the same. So it kind of has this reputation for being sexist, doesn't it? So it's a weird thing to bring to life now while people are working incredibly hard to address that imbalance and present women properly with, you know, good respect and good roles, blah, 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 blah. What I'm surprised by is they face that head on and they do have women running around in their beach suits, but they have just as many men running around in beach suits. And there's even quite a clever line from Alexandra Daddario's character where she says, you know, when Matt Brody is looking at things that she shouldn't really be looking at, she comments on it and says, look, we're going to be in swimsuits a lot, so is this going to be a problem? I like that. I think that's really clever because it is a beach. You expect to see people in beach clothes on a beach. And it sort of puts the sexist nature of that on the viewer, not on the film itself. So weirdly enough, I think they manage to walk a line right down the middle and they don't chicken out and put everyone in wetsuits. They just do something interesting. Can I tell you my concerns about the film? Because yes. I'm not that I don't I just I'm not convinced it's gonna be that good of a film. I hear what you're saying, you're saying you enjoyed it, but for me it looks a bit crass, it looks a bit try hard, it looks a bit formulaic in the sense that they're trying to do that thing of adding it a bit a bit of sex, a bit of naughty words and a bit of sort of silly, kind of obvious humour and well, trying hmm. to make a movie out of it. I think there's a lot less of that than I expected. What they actually put more of in than they really should be is plot. Really? <laughs> yeah, I think they missed the point. There's a lot of weird crime investigation scenes and occasionally they nominally throw in a joke or two there because this whole drug smuggling thing becomes the dominant part of it. Yes, Matt Brody is a troublesome guy in the team and he needs to learn a few lessons. Mitch needs to learn a few lessons about, you know, he's trying to make it more about crime solving, less about lifeguarding. Is he taking himself too seriously? Blah, blah, blah. But actually, what takes centre stage is an investigation into a drug smuggling ring. And there's really long scenes with no jokes at all where you feel like you're watching basically a new crime pilot or a sort of light-hearted crime pilot, a bit like uh, the reboot of Rush Hour that was on TV recently, yeah. or even uh, Lethal Weapon, which has been rebooted as a TV show as well. Mm. It strangely feels more like that than uh, a proper Baywatch movie. So yeah, I think, I think it is uneven, but not because it's too raunchy. That said, there's plenty of gross-out humour, Phil, which you don't look that happy about. I just feel like I've seen it. I've seen it before. I, I kind of getting a bit tired of it because how many times can you be grossed out? How many times can you be shocked and surprised when they do something a bit naughty? If you're expecting it, like it just doesn't work. <laughs> I don't think you will expect it in this case, though. I There's a scene that reminded me of Star Trek Fall of the Voyage Home. It's set in a hospital where there is some gross out humour that I don't think anyone has seen before. There's a couple of things in there that I don't remember having seen. They're certainly gross out. But Phil, I laughed. Does that mean that I've got bad taste? You no, know? I'm, I'm, I'm not judging anyone who enjoys it or anything like that. I'm just saying I have reservations. I just don't believe that it's going to be just be that fresh or original. But if you're saying it is, great. Maybe I'll give it a go. Well, I think the things that really make it stand out uh, are Dwayne Johnson's performance. He's got this weird career at the moment where he plays Mr. Wholesome 
good time, moral, family values, but also a sex symbol thing going on. It's really strange. He's got a very unique little niche in the market, and he does it very well. He's good at that. And he's quite dynamic on the screen, and he works really well playing off against Zac Efron, who isn't the sort of insane, annoying party boy as usual, even though his character is partly that. Weirdly, he just plays the fool quite well. I found him really quite charming, and I, I feel like, I really hope... This is the upward slope from the terrible pit that he's been in for things like Mike and Dave need wedding dates and all those Bad terrible... neighbours. Yeah, and like he's been rubbish for so long. I, I am hoping that this might be a very slow incline where he's going to do better. They're, they're really good in, in the roles. And John Bass is funny, even though I don't really like the whole here's this geeky guy put in a context with loads and loads of beautiful people and maybe the beautiful girl will fall in love with him because he's something she's never come across before. I think that's really tired. I don't understand yeah. why they put that in there. But yeah, on the whole, I think it. I think it's better than critics would have you believe. Can I ask you about the female characters though? Are they fleshed out or are they kind of basic? Is there something going on with them? Is Alexandra Daddario? Alexandra Daddario is really the only person who appears to have any depth. Possibly Priyanka Chopra's character as well, because she is essentially the nemesis in the film, which is an unusual thing for a woman to hold. I suppose. Weirdly, there are not many female baddies. I think even more so than there aren't that many female heroines, right? Mm. I, so she's okay. I do think that uh, Kelly Rohrbach's role is thankless. Everyone, But the thing is, everyone knows that because it's Baywatch, right? Mm. And she manages to bring some sort of emotion to it. Actually, the weirdly the worst for me was Ilfanesh Hadira's one, Stephanie, because they, they write such a boring character for her. Everyone else has something about them. She has nothing. Other than at one point they say that she should really be the boss of the team because she's so good at her job. And I thought that was just, I don't understand why, like, why didn't they give her more to do? I didn't make sense to me. If they want to paint her as a sort of mum in this relationship, if Dwayne Johnson is the dad, she could be the mum. Why didn't they give her more? They didn't really give her anything. So does that satisfy your female character curiosity? Oh, yeah, I was just wondering. So I'm getting the sense that it's not as bad as uh, you might think. It's a bit more plot driven than you might realise. Definitely. And there's some funny jokes in there that you aren't as crass as you think they might be. Yeah, I mean, there's one, there's three jokes, very easy, that are all to do with a model of Dwayne Johnson in a fish tank that is in his own house. And they're just quite creative with that. And that is a very lighthearted gag, isn't it? And there's a lot more gag, like Matt Brody's just an idiot, like half the time. There's the famous clip, or not famous, probably a well-known clip, where they talk about being in lifeguard pursuit. And he's really passionate about Baywatch's right to pursue criminals. And he just comes across as an idiot. That's funny and quite good natured, really. The one thing I would say is there is a lot more swearing in this film than you might expect. And that's probably the main reason it's got a 15 certificate. Do you think that's just trying to be a bit, trying to push the film into that sort of raunchy, uh, gross out sort of arena? Yeah, I think it helps. And be taken a bit seriously. It probably helps position it for the right audience because they will want people 15 and above to see this. It's not going to appeal to anyone younger than that. So I don't think it's necessary. It's just surprising. I mean, we, we were looking at clips, Phil, and half of them are so blue <laughs> you just can't swearing, use them. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I think I should round up. It's not that complex a film. I'd really like to know, listeners, what your thoughts are if you go and see it. I think it's a pretty summery good time. I like the soundtrack. It's proper sort of party songs, but very sunny. And it made me want to go on holiday, Phil. I'm just <laughs> going to be honest. So it would get a B from me. I think it's got a lot more in it than people are willing to admit. I think it could be a good franchise jumping off point. I think the characters are done fairly well, except Stephanie's character. So I'm hoping there's a bit more to come. Any bonuses? What I will say is that you know there's a slightly, also another slightly tired trope of someone you wouldn't expect whipping out some amazing dance moves. Yep. In this film, they do that. But weirdly, I was totally unimpressed. Like the, all the set dressing and the music and the reaction from the characters was a kind of a, whoa, check this out. And I was watching it thinking, no, 
It's not like you, dancing. Phil, would dance better than that. You're a good dancer. <laughs> oh, People don't you. notice about you. And when our brother Sam, you guys, you guys are good. You would do better than this guy, trust me. Really? You'll be unimpressed, I think. <laughs> okay, there you go, I guess. Thanks, thanks, Larry. That's nice. <laughs> don't don't, mention, a it. don't mention it. mention it. But this is another Guy Ritchie film, right? No, it's not, it's not Snatch. Sequel it's, to Snatch. <laughs> it's Snatched. It's best I've got, Phil. So Snatched is the, the newest film from Amy Schumer. She did Trainwreck. That one with Bill Hader is quite a lot of attention because it seemed to kind of flip the normal uh, rom-com dynamic and instead the girl was the bit of a mess and the guy was sort of the the dashing hunk that she was trying to win over. And uh, in this film, she is starring alongside Goldie Hawn, who apparently is a bit of a comedy legend. She's sort of uh, always done these these little rom-com sort of fun little adventure films alongside quite big stars. Mm. But she hasn't done one for a long time. It's been 15 years since she was last on the screen and she's decided to come back. Amy Schumer insisted that Goldie Hawn be her co-star in this film. She wasn't going to do the project without Goldie Hawn and she's agreed and here they are. They're playing mother and daughter and what has happened basically is Amy Schumer's life has sort of fallen apart. She's a bit of a, a slob and she can't seem to keep her job and she has decided to buy non-refundable tickets to Ecuador. She's really excited about going to Ecuador with her boyfriend. But lo and behold, her boyfriend breaks up with her, and she's bought these non-refundable tickets. So what on earth could she do? Mm, I wonder. But go with her mother. She decides mm. to go with her mother. Goldie Horn is a bit of a sort of paranoid safety freak, very nervous, and doesn't, doesn't like going abroad. But because it's non-refundable... She, she decides to go along with her daughter. And so they go to Ecuador and Amy Schumer, of course, wants to have fun. She wants to make the most of it, make sure that everyone on her, on her Instagram account knows how much fun she's having. And Goldie Horn is a bit nervous and a bit sort of apprehensive. But they then get snatched, hence the title, by some people who abduct them and kidnap them for money. And it's then their adventure as they try and escape the Ecuadorian jungle and make it back home. See, I think that's quite a solid premise, if you can get the jokes in, to be honest. Well, let me play a clip first before we get into the movie and what it's like. Uh, Here is the clip, in fact, when her boyfriend decides to break it off with her. I want to focus on you and me on the beach. Are you with me? I can't go to South America. What are you talking about? (laughs) I can't go to Ecuador. You know it's a non-refundable trip, right? I mean, I don't want to make it about money because money comes and goes, but I don't have any more coming right now, so it's I'm breaking up with you. When? Like, right now. This is it. You're in the middle of it. You don't want to lose us. You don't want to lose this. No, I don't. No, just no. (laughs) All right, this is the thing. You don't have any direction in life. What does that mean? It means you're not going anywhere. You're not doing anything. Okay, you know what? I am so sorry, honestly, but I'm sorry, but I want to see other people. Excuse me? Yeah, you're great, but I have a lot going on right now. Yeah, I'm heartbroken. So there you go. Maybe you laughed. I didn't. But anyway. It's a bit mean, (laughs) but keep going. This film is written by the same person who did the Ghostbusters reboot. You know that um, Kate Dippold and uh, it's directed by Jonathan Levine or Levine, not sure. Yeah, yeah, one of those. He's the guy who did 50-50, that Seth Rogen and Joseph Gordon-Levitt film, uh, kind of a serious dram- dramatic comedy. So he's got a bit of a comedy background and he's directing this film. I hated this film. <laughs> utterly, utterly, utterly hated it. I do not think it has any redeeming qualities to it whatsoever. Do you know that's a shame? It's a shockingly poorly made film 
The cast is atrocious. Goldie Hawn, I don't know why she came back for this film at all. I cannot see any sort of quality to it. It's such an old trope. It's such an old situation for a comedy to happen. You think it'd be easy to do. You think somebody with her experience would kind of be able to sense whether or not there's some the life to this idea or not, because it's it's a done thing. Amy Schumer, I think, is utterly unrelatable and unlikable. The whole film is just underwritten so that you just despise her. Really? I think I think there's nothing really likable about her. She's she's obnoxious, she's oblivious, and you just don't there's no kind of character to her. She is just playing herself. She's playing I, I don't know if you've seen any of her stand up or anything like that. No, I haven't. She likes sort of going gross out and sort of mentioning her private parts and that's why she's got there was a lot a bit of attention. Of that in as well. Yeah, so that sort of uh, vibe. And there's just no performance to her whatsoever. And you've got an unlikable character that's underwritten. You get no reason why you would root for her. And then there's no chemistry between the two of them either. You don't really get why they have any sort of bond. You don't really get why she would be upset about taking her mother to Ecuador. She seems to act like it's the most vile thing ever. But that's never really explained. People seem to act like that's something really embarrassing. But I know plenty of people who have gone on holiday I'm with going their mum. My parents later this year. Phil. Exactly. <laughs> I, I I just don't get it. Like they present it as if it's this awful thing that's shameful of going on parents with your holiday. But I think that's one of the most regular things you might do over the course of your life. I but cannot that's think kind of, of it. a classic. I mean, this is why I said I think it sounds like a solid premise. It's classic. There's an embarrassing parent who tags along on a holiday and you feel a bit, ooh, and I, especially when she was planning to go with her boyfriend. Instead, she's been dumped, so she has to take her mum. That's like, uh, well, episodes of Frasier where his date cancels at the last minute and he has to take along his manager. It's not trying to be serious. I think it sounds like a solid premise, but it sounds like they've failed it. They just seem to miss the point of it or how to present it because her mum seems fine. Okay. She seems very nice. She seems like she cares about her kids and for whatever reason... Amy Schumer just hates her and okay. thinks she's awful and is constantly trying to ditch her and trying to go out and just find men to sleep with. And it just put me off right from the get-go. And it's not funny enough. Not even remotely funny. I don't think I laughed at any point during the film. Because we, you and I both saw a trailer when we went to watch Alien Covenant, I think. And I remember laughing. Uh, there's one uh, gag where she's holding a guy up at gunpoint and she says, look, I will shoot. I'm going to count down and I will shoot because they're trying to threaten him. And then she says... Right, 199, and I think that's funny. I think that's pretty witty. You laughed at that. I didn't yeah. laugh at that in the trailer, but okay. weirdly the trailer made the film look like it had some sense of humour to it, but it's not my sense of humour okay. by any means. And I just cannot imagine anyone finding it funny to the point of being a comedy film. Maybe they might find it a little bit amusing. They might sort of smile at some things that have been said, but I don't think it's got any uh, charm or surprise or ingenuity to what's being said. And the structure is just completely meandering and pointless. It's only an hour and a half. I've never felt like a, a film's taken longer to watch in my oh life. Dear. I was so tedious, so, so tedious. And it's a little bit offensive as well, really? I might say. Okay. Because you've got these two white women who basically act like everyone around them is, uh, is sort of nasty and untrustworthy because they're not white, <laughs> oh because they're in South America. And so you sort of this bizarre ugly side to what should be an inoffensive film becomes this just this vulgar piece of work i think oh dear i mean you're really making it sound atrocious i've got to say i'm expecting an e or an f uh grade or d I suppose. it would be close to i do want to say there are some things which i think could begin to start redeem it in some fashion maybe a little bit they uh, they call up a u.s sort of embassy type person who gives them advice and then 
her brother has to talk, talk to him. And those, that begins to sort of show some promise. But it just—it just—it doesn't matter to the the film. It's pointless, and plot threads are raised and then dropped. Joan Cusack is in this film. Is she? She literally says nothing. Well, and not a word. I mean, her character doesn't have a tongue, but she says nothing, and she contributes okay. nothing to the story. See, now that's a real failure because one of her great strengths is her voice selling and uh, her delivery of stuff. But even her faces can be quite funny. She's a yeah. charismatic comedian, and she's utterly pointless to the story. She's really pointless. She's got a sort of maybe lesbian partner, Wanda Sykes, in the film as well. Okay. And there's some sort of military background to their characters. They're not used. They well, mention it. I they like don't Wanda use Sykes. it. Is she not funny in it? She's shaking his head. Are you, Sorry. You know, I, we're on a podcast, I forgot, actually. I Phil. forgot. I'm so, <laughs> I'm so disappointed by this film. I forgot I needed to speak. Right. I think this is just a train wreck of a movie, ironically, oh, seeing as though she made train wreck. Zing. And you wonder, I think a lot of people are pushing forward Amy Schumer is a real great shining beacon of what uh, women she's can do in comedy. She's a isn't she, for subverting expectations? I don't think she's good enough. I don't think she's okay. funny enough. I don't think she's great enough. I feel like the film is lazy, underwritten, and badly thought through, and it's kind of shocking. It's kind of <laughs> shocking that this made money. Goodness me. Phil's hands are all over the place during that review. You feel very strongly about this, I can tell. And listeners, I really want to know. I suspect some of you might well have seen this. So do let us know your thoughts on superbellybros at gmail.com or at superbellybros on Twitter. Give Phil a minus one if he's wrong and tell us why. Or give us a plus one if, sadly, you have to agree with him. I'm going to give it a D. I don't think it should be a film. I don't Ouch. think, really, you can get away with this if you're making films. You know how not, you get it's not an- a small release, it's a big one. You know how you get annoyed when you think, how on earth is this being produced? How has this well, got uh, yeah. through all these rungs of sort of studio uh, approval and things like that? I loathed that film Life uh, that was out recently. It wasn't offensive in any way. It was just so average. I didn't understand how it got made, yeah. This is below average. It's bad. Right. And you wonder how is that possible when supposedly it's got such a talented cast. Yeah. Supposedly yeah. it's got everything going for it. It's a solid premise. And they can make nothing with it. Oh, what any bonuses, doing? Phil? My bonus is don't go see it. Seriously, <laughs> I, I don't really like saying this. I do not think it's worth a ticket for anyone. And I maybe that's unfair. Maybe I need to take a chill pill. Apologies if that's the case. It's very hot in this room right now. But <laughs> nice, I just nice excuse. I like that. But basically, I just cannot see anyone enjoying it. And if you did enjoy it, I'm very, very glad that you did. And I'd love to hear from you why, what worked for you, what didn't, and et cetera, et cetera. As Laurie said, get in touch. But for me, don't go see it. That's my strongest recommendation. Avoid. We better take a, a positive breather, Phil, and come back. Sorry, was that too intense? I well, feel like I, hey, I feel like I've sort of exercised my feel. demon. If this this, feel, this film has been an oppressive cloud since I've seen it because I'm just so furious that it exists. Well, no, well and now done. It's gone. I'm I hope free. That was cathartic. Thank you. Well, this is really, really short, and in some ways it's not as fun as I thought it might be now that I'm about to do it, uh, but it's a nice breather anyway after your uh, de- depressing Sorry, snatch Sorry, I didn't mean it. Fine, 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 fine. I was watching Lord of the Rings recently, and one thing I noticed, and it, I put my finger on for the first time, was I love Ian McKellen as an actor. I think he's just a genius in on screen, and he's really compelling, and he often comes across as someone who's subtle and totally inhabits the character, mm. even when some of them are fairly similar, right? Mm. And one thing I noticed him doing, especially as Gandalf, is eye acting. Have you noticed this? Eye acting. I mean, Jake Gyllenhaal's talked about it. Has he? He's he, Every single character he's ever done, he says there's something to do with the eyes that's really? important. So when he was in Prisoners, he... Um, 
kind of has this weird intense stare and then in Nightcrawler he doesn't blink I think he blinks three times in the whole film taking a few notes out of uh, Rosamund Pike's book yeah exactly yeah but like he purposely tries to act with his eyes his, each character has a different eye thing that he does that's I mean that's such an interesting thing to say I might try and find the clip or you can send it to me and we can put it in and sound professional you know I mean, I mean I don't I don't remember where I saw it or where I heard it but <laughs> okay. it definitely a bit of that is a thing that Great. is a thing it's definitely a thing which he's done and chooses to well, do well thanks so much Jake if you're out there for shoring up my point but in particular I noticed Ian McKellen looks to the side with his eyes a lot in Lord of the Rings if you watch it he often doesn't say anything he, and he doesn't, doesn't change his expression that the camera is on him and he just looks to the left or the right he does it a lot and it really communicates a lot about this character Gandalf the idea is that he's observing everything and processing it all internally but not necessarily sharing everything with everybody so there's something concealed in what exactly. he does it creates this aura of mystique and omniscience is very clever, I think. And I don't know to what extent Ian McKellen, that's a conscious thing or whether he's just a natural at it. But it, all, it then I found myself trying to do impressions of that and trying to do eye acting myself. <laughs> it's a very unnatural thing to do because, of course, your eyes, you don't think about you where just look you at look. Stuff. This stuff just happens. And when people's pupils move around and that sort of thing, they tend not to think, I'm going to look to the left a bit now. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't happen that way. Yeah. They tend to look at something. Or it's famous, isn't it? That when people are making stuff up, they look uh, to up and to the left or the right or one of those two. And it's supposed to correspond to the lobes of the brain or something like that. But I just, yeah, I just thought, listen, what, if you do watch Lord of the Rings again, watch Ian McKellen's eyes. And it's brilliant because it really reveals a depth to acting that I hadn't thought of. It's mimicking real, genuinely mimicking real life, but down on a macro level. Have you seen um, The Godfather or The Godfather Part 2? No, we talked about this. I've still not seen any Godfathers. It's a gaping hole in my film. Sorry, knowledge. sorry to highlight it. But in that, Al Pacino does some eye acting that is in outside of the context it's in. It would look ridiculous. But when you watch the, the sequence that it's in, he's, he's, uh, Al Pacino's character is about to decide whether or not he's going to basically kill someone or not kill them. And right. basically the way he communicates this is with his eye movement. He's silent during this little scene and you see his eyes basically just start going nuts, like really over the top nuts. Really? But does it work? Or does it, it works silly? It, it's one of those things, once you focus in on it, it doesn't work at all. And you're like, that's crazy. It's so over the top. Why is his eyes doing that? They're dancing all over the place. But in the context of the scene, you just kind of like, you can really process his his thoughts, his mind, as he's kind of contemplating whether or not he's really going to do this. Is he actually going to take care of business and, and follow through in what he needs to do? Or is he going to hold back? And you can see the conflict basically in his eye movements. How funny. You know, and this is what I think. I reckon it's a conscious thing. I think to sit there and do that and know that it's going to communicate on camera, that's an impressive skill to do it without it looking like a clown or something. <laughs> or something. So listen, I want to know. <laughs> or like you, Thomas the Tank Engine. Yeah, exactly. Like be, if you sit there and try and move your eyes around, you feel like an idiot. And I bet you it looks really weird if it comes across as fake. So I think it's impressive and it's subtle, amazing to hear Jake Gyllenhaal, you know, really takes that into account. Listeners, I want to know your good examples of eye acting. Keep an eye <laughs> out <acting>. for it. <laughs> uh, and let us know if you spot someone doing something great. And let me know if you agree with me about um, Ian McKellen. Where can they reach us again? Superbelly Bros at gmail.com at Superbelly Bros on Twitter. Great. But I realised we didn't get to make the joke that you suggested in the intro when we were reviewing all the films. We oh, got... yeah, the newsflash Red Turtle snatched by pay- on Baywatch or something. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Baywatch that's, report that's... on Snatched Red Turtle or something like that. It was just taking the three movies and make a joke out of it. Red Turtle snatched Baywatch. There you go, listeners. There's the building blocks. Make your own joke uh, out of those three <laughs> pieces. Why not? That's Wait. what the Baby Bros give you <laughs> the building blocks of a joke. There you go. You, Phil, said to me, just as you came around to watch the trailer that we're about to play, uh, you were really excited about this because it's Studio Ghibli. 
Yeah, I love Studio Ghibli. I love the style. I love the care that they give to their animation project. Yeah. And I was really excited by the idea of somebody who wasn't from the Studio Ghibli sort of mold coming in, but working with Studio Ghibli to produce a film. And you can tell from the art style in the trailer and, and just around the film that there is something different about this project. Mm. It's not the usual thing. But it's still Studio Ghibli, so you kind of have this kind of excitement around it. Okay, how interesting. All right, I'll come on to some of the things you said in a minute or two. Listeners, this is a film that was released last year, and it was nominated for Best Animated Picture at the Oscars. It didn't pick up the Oscar, but it was in stiff competition. It did very well at the Cannes Film Festival, uh, and unusual for an animation to do as well as it did at that festival as well. Very rare for them to be selected there, so I hear. And it's a film by Michael Dudok DeWitt, who is a Dutch animator, director and illustrator. So he's sort of the full house in the animation department. Uh, and the way that he describes it, Phil, Studio Ghibli contacted him. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, And they said, we love your short films. We'd like you to make something. So it's really interesting to me that you said this is Studio Ghibli bringing someone in. It isn't really that. This is Studio Ghibli saying, we'd we like to part to finance and produce your film. So it's actually, it was made in Europe. It was directed by him and he, in a Q&A, fantastically chatted about the meetings he had with Studio Ghibli and took their feedback. But I actually think it's a misnomer and an unhelpful one to say this is a Studio Ghibli film. I think they're doing it because it needs as much publicity as possible. Fairly small budget, fairly not mainstream, it's fair to say. So any kind of hook that can be got out of the marketing, I think, is being pushed as hard as it can. And I think it's really important not to go in thinking this is a Studio Ghibli film because as much as you might think there are similarities i don't think it's anything like any ghibli film i've ever seen no but do you not think it would have some impact on the film and also there's a sense in which studio ghibli would be curators of uh, talent and so they don't want to identify qualities in other animators and other directors that they like and so there is kind of a common thread even if they're completely different styles and approaches. common thread yeah i don't dispute that at all they're involved in it you know they're the number one sort of presenters of the thing and isao takahata not miyazaki it's interesting that people talk about miyazaki all the time in the press about it but it's not really him it's takahata who's the other half of the studio ghibli team mm. uh, he's definitely involved but it doesn't feel like a ghibli film i mean the fact that there's no dialogue is a real departure. I think when you go to a Ghibli movie, you expect something expansive, imaginative, fantastical, even when it's grounded in reality. And in particular, characters who express themselves a lot. There's a lot to do with youth, isn't there? Sort of growing and, and changing and confronting the world's issues. You know, you think about Spirited Away, you think about Grave of the Fireflies, right? Almost all Studio Ghibli films have characters who undergo a lot of trials to grow personally this mm. film when there's no dialogue it's almost high concept like the whole thing do you know what i really thought I, I'll, I'll give it out like this way it's like a really extended pixar short i mean yeah it's slightly ringing bells i can't remember who did it but i remember seeing a short film which was basically kind of a reimagining of the garden of eden right and it was it was focusing on you're gonna roll your eyes at this story it was like man's best friend as a dog and then <laughs> yeah. the introduction of uh, and that was kind of very similar very beautiful similar sort of aesthetic as the red turtle mm. um, and i think it was disney that were behind that and so it, this film does have the, I completely agree it gives that Pixar fil film Well, yeah, and you know how I feel and, about yeah, those Pixar so shorts <laughs> I don't really how to gauge that then so uh, let me give you a bit more detail listeners this is about a man who in a dreadful storm is shipwrecked on a small sort of tropical island in many ways it's a very beautiful place but he's completely isolated there is not a soul on the island besides him so he's desperate to escape but basically all his escape attempts are foiled by a mystery 
uh, it's, he doesn't know what it is to begin with. And eventually he discovers there's a, there's a red turtle who is keeping him from escaping. Uh, and then from that point on, I don't really want to say too much because I think it'll give it away. And I would advise you not to watch a trailer if you're interested in the film because I think it's much better to let the film tell its own story at its, in its own pace. Uh, but for various reasons, he doesn't leave. And it's about what he does on this island and what his future looks like. But there's no dialogue. So the only word that gets shouted every now and again is, hey. <laughs> and when there's no people, it makes sense that there's no uh, human dialogue as well. The whole film is presented in a kind of grain. There's this weird texture to all the colours. There is the Studio Ghibli-ish approach of basically only having two tones, a lot of flat colour with maybe one shadow colour. Uh, there's a sort of hard line cell shading sort of approach. But interestingly, and Michael DeWitt admitted this, it reminded me more of Tintin than it did of a Studio Ghibli movie because they've got the dots for the eyes and the face shape is very similar. And he admitted he is hugely influenced by Hergé, who is the, uh, the artist uh, and the publisher behind Tintin. Uh, so I hope that's given you kind of a feel for it. Uh, let's play a trailer. I thought we couldn't play a trailer at all because there's basically no dialogue, but this will give you a great feel for how the film presents itself, especially the music. So here you go. Yeah, there you go. So hopefully that's given you a good vibe for it, listeners. And yeah, it's interesting. I don't actually really know how I feel about this because I have to be honest, for about the first 20 minutes, I was really bored. Really? Yeah, I was really bored. And I was so sad to be bored because I was so excited. Like you, Phil, I thought I'll see anything that Ghibli put their name to because they're fascinating and they're so full of imagination and I want to go and escape and deal with these metaphysical ideas that they always bring up. This film just didn't really have it. It was the kind of high concept thing, like I said, that's more at home in a Pixar short, but felt like a very long one. And you know me, Phil. You know I'm not really one for that kind of high concept thing that doesn't really say anything and pretends that there's great depth of meaning in the negative spaces yeah and like and the thing is there is a lot of beauty in it i certainly wouldn't dispute that and there is a lot of negative space uh, michael dewitt admitted he loves that he loves the sense of space and whiteness and negative space and all that kind of stuff and it, the, the film was quite remarkable for the way that it routinely uses the subject of the frame being the, the man or whoever else is in it and they're tiny they're tiny in it and they because the drawing is so simple you can see the detail even when they're tiny but it gives an amazing sense of scale mm. uh, and character to the island he's on and, and really the island is as much of a character as as this guy this shipwrecked guy is in the film and michael dewitt sort of admitted that 
he doesn't entirely have a direct interpretation, Phil. I uh, know you think this about this Garden of Eden thing. He says he doesn't have a direct one. In fact, he said this, and I, the thing, he was so earnest and so open. I really liked him and respected him. If anyone else had said this, I would have thought, what are you talking about? He said, it's all about the most subtle of the most subtle in meaning. And it's about the most beautiful of the most beautiful in presentation. And it's something that's kind of, you can't quite grasp it. And there's a lot, and he wants to talk about these themes of separation, which we always experience in life, but then again of unity and the way that separation and unity are constantly sort of holding hands and breaking apart. Did he have life. an accent? Did that? Did yeah, that he help? had a great, a fantastic Dutch accent. Yeah, as well. if the accent I, probably I really, sold it for you. <laughs> yeah, I really can't explain it, but when he says it, it sounds totally authentic, and I really believe that he believes this and is passionate, and I can see why Studio Ghibli was so sort of entranced by him and wanted to help him produce a feature-length film. But I just. I don't know. It's really hard to wrap your fingers around it and get your teeth into it. And there's a real sort of magic element to it that pops up that is not a studio, not really a Ghibli kind of magic element that I kind of wasn't sure about. By the time it comes to the end, everything sort of gets tied together and you start thinking, oh, is this an allegory for this? Is this an allegory for this? And there's things that are interesting about it. But for it to really carry any weight, you have to have thought, oh, this is beautiful. And you have to have your breath taken away by it. Otherwise, it's just kind of a, well, that was weird. Do you know, like, it requires you to feel as emotional about it as the director wants you to feel. And I'm afraid I just didn't connect. Do you think people will connect, though? Some people will. And, you know, without wanting to sling mud or anything like this, I reckon a lot of people have clouded judgment when it comes to animation. Because animation these days is very rare, especially animation that is not kiddie but is aimed at a mature audience Mm. and has depth to it, people want to instantly say, oh, it's beautiful. So do you remember I reviewed The Tale of the Princess Kaguya, which is a Ghibli production? Yeah. Actually, it's Al Takahata's last production. I didn't really like it. I thought it was really long. And as beautiful as I think the drawings were, you can't just have beautiful drawings in a film. I found it really boring. I didn't enjoy it. It needs to be a good film. Yeah, I didn't find that there was enough. There wasn't enough intrigue. There wasn't enough to help. It was a very obvious morality tale and a fable. I slightly felt the same way about this. I think you can get blindsided by the fact that it's an animation on the cinema and you just say it's beautiful because the last film you saw was Snatched, starring Amy Schumer. Or, <laughs> yeah. or the last film you saw was Baywatch, even. Do you know what I mean? Like, and so it stands out just because it's rare. Yeah, and I, I, I really, 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 really wanted to like it a lot more than I did. But I just found it a bit opaque, a little bit contrived, slightly twee. That's, yeah. The music's great, and that was the question I asked. It was interesting, I assumed, because there's no dialogue, but music must have played quite a pivotal role in the development of the story uh, and of the sort of direction, because the way that musical cues are hit or not and the length of the piece and the tone of the piece might affect the way that it's made. But it wasn't like that at all. Apparently, he found it really, really hard to find a musician and a composer that he liked, and it came right towards the end. You know, out of eight, there was just one that he really liked, and that was it. And it was really interesting hearing him talk about it, because even something that is so clearly wants to be held as an artistic work, there is so much practicality behind Mm. it. It's just kind of just taking one step at a time and we can't do that. So I guess we'll have to do this. It's this weird kind of vision and there's so much compromise involved. So, yeah, anyway, I think that's probably all I need to say on this. I reckon I would absolutely love to know what your thoughts are, listeners, on this one, especially if you're a Studio Ghibli fan, especially if you love animations that have got something to them. I think it's easy to think there's more there than there really is. But I'm certainly really fascinated by and want to hear more from Michael Dr. Witt, the director. I think he's got a lot to say. I just hope the next one says it in a more convincing way. 
What's so the grade? Probably uh, a B for me, yeah. Which B, is the same as I gave Baywatch, isn't it? But that's way higher than I was expecting. Did you think so? I didn't think it was bad. I just, I just didn't. It just, I wanted it to be much higher. Is that because I could of your expectations? Yeah, that's exactly why I say I think you mustn't go in thinking this is a Ghibli film because even down to the nuts and bolts, it isn't really. They're involved, but it's not a Ghibli film, and it certainly doesn't feel like one. Any bonuses? Well, I do think, Phil, that if you're going to make a film that has no dialogue in it, have no dialogue in it. There's something I find a bit annoying, or not annoying, there's something that breaks stuff for me, that when no one says anything, and then they do say one word, hey, or they do shouts, it feels like I'm watching an amateur dramatic thing, you know, where someone has written something where they just emote and express stuff, and they use wordless sounds. And then they cheat at the end. You know what I mean? Yeah, or, yeah. No, no, but it wasn't even that, it's just, it, it just... I didn't like that. E- either have the confidence to make it wordless or give them more dialogue than hey and a shout because I, I think it breaks the spell and, and not in the way that they were hoping. That's how I felt about The Artist. You remember that silent film? Yes. The whole time I was just like, just talk. <laughs> Is that how you felt really? And then they did and I was like, oh, that was fun. They talked. Yeah, they do talk in that film. Oh. There's a weird like dream sequence where everyone talks. Well, there you go then. That's kind of what I mean. I just think, what's that? There, there, there's something wrong about that in mm. my book. Anyway, yeah, that's enough. What have we been watching this week? Woo! Was that I right? Told, well, I told you that's the right key, but I guessed as much as you did. So oh, no. uh, maybe I, you know, uh, if you saw me down the river, I'm coming for you. I was thinking of up a creek without a paddle. But that's not even right. <laughs> okay, what I've been watching: old and sort of newish films, <laughs> not at the cinema reviews. Phil, what's yours this week? Pain and Gain, and mine is Terminator Two. Let's have you first, Phil. Okay, Pain and Gain. My name is Daniel Lugo, and I believe in fitness. All this began because it was time to push myself harder. Oh, there you go, yes! Otherwise, I was looking at another 40 years of wearing sweatpants to work. Mr. Dobo, are you currently using steroids? I think they messed me up. Don't worry, that's what we specialize in here. I'm a self-made man. I made a lot of money. Maybe yourself ought to spend some of it on a salad. You know who invented salad? Poor people. What's going on, Dio? Hey, we just get tired of being where you are, Adrian. No. I kind of like it here. I mean, the weights are new. I mean, in life, man. When's the last time you paid your rent when it was due? I got a plan to change that. Where'd you do your time, pal? Up north. Are you fixed for a job now? You just can't kidnap a guy and take his things. That's so illegal. Well, sure we can. Victor Kershaw is a criminal who deserves bad stuff to happen to him. We go through with this, nobody gets hurt, right? No, man. We snatch him. There he is! We grab him, signs a few signatures. We give him a protein shake. He doesn't even know what happened. I watched a lot of movies, Paul. I know what I'm doing. The Sun Jim gang has successfully acquired every asset you had. What happens now? Now I go to work. I gotta get a pump. That's it. It's good. It hurts. I know it does. That's it. Get it. You said no violence. And I meant it when I said it. I swear to God. I cannot kill. Duly noted. Look, when this is over, we'll all go camping. All right? Okay. Now, Phil, I have already heard a lot about this film, so I'm intrigued to hear your perspective. Mm, you basically got the plot there in the trailer this follows Danny Lugo played by Mark Wahlberg he's this guy working at the Sun Gym and he's annoyed and frustrated at life this is a true story uh, or based fr- on surely right based on true story I'll come on to that later okay uh, he is frustrated that he's not making any money and he's he's sort of 
gets into his head that he should be living the high life. And so he ropes in some of his uh, uh, gym colleagues and gym buddies basically to start a gang. And they decide they're going to abduct one of their, one of his rich clients and basically take all his money, take all his property and then ditch him. And uh, no one will be none the wiser. And then they can live the life that they feel they deserve. Right. It's also starring uh, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, as uh, one of these uh, criminals. And also the guy who plays the Falcon in The Avengers. Anthony Mackie. I can't even remember that guy. Okay. So the main thing about this film is it's directed by Michael Bay, uh, the guy behind Transformers, in mm, case you didn't know. Armageddon, and all that stuff. He's got a very clear style. He's very pulpy, very much blockbusters. People sort of hate his directorial style. He's but He's self-confessed cynic, basically, isn't he, in the film industry? And it's difficult to, to kind of really work out, is he sort of this weird, sexist, misogynistic director? who puts in basically what audience wants. He says, this is what audience wants, and he delivers it. Or is he somebody who's a bit smart, a bit wiser? I mean, apparently all of the films that he made when he was at film school, everyone said was brilliant and loved and thought he was a massive talent. And yet he produces these films, which are very schlocky and very sort of uh, lower lower base level, isn't it? Right, yeah. Well, I mean, people are apologists for like The Rock and stuff. He, He can make a good film, but they're definitely all a bit pulpy, yeah. So this is slightly different, though, because it is based on a true story uh, and there's real life consequences to this. Yet this film is presented as entertainment and is written in a certain way that means that it's sort of just very oddly pitched. The tone is very difficult to really gauge. It's part comedy, part sort of black humour, part serious crime drama and sort of true life story biopic almost. And I found the film very uncomfortable watching it. Um, this is actually the second time I've seen this film. The first what? time I saw it, I thought, oh, Why would you I, go back? I, well, I watched it a very long time ago when I was a bit younger. And I didn't really watch it properly, but I remember thinking, oh, I'll just watch this. And I thought, I remember it being kind of memorable and having quite a lot of style to it. It's, it's well-directed film. It's well put together. But n- having watched it now and kind of understanding the broader context of the film, I felt really, really, really uncomfortable watching it again. Well, maybe he's spent too long in that sort of mega entertainment world and he's forgotten how to direct a film that doesn't use those techniques. Yeah, I kind of get that sense. He, he He's doing his Michael Bay thing, but it's not the right story for it at all. Tasteless, it's basically. A, it's, it's tasteless. And that's the thing which I found is it really leaves a bad taste in your mouth. You're kind of like, why on earth would this be funny? This is real life people. And it's, and it's showing you... Uh, from the perspective of the criminals and they're sort of hapless and fool fools basically they're constantly making mistakes they're constantly getting things wrong but at the same time they're inflicting awful things to these people awful things and you're meant to sort of laugh or find it amusing that they try to basically kill someone so that they could take his take his stuff and it'd be gone and sort of cover up as an accidental death and and it fails and they don't do it right and and this guy's just having the worst time of his life and it's presented for you as entertainment. And I have to say, the last... You know, normally true stories, you kind of... I look forward to the, yeah, the, the black, black, te- black screen and it tells you text. what happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that bit. This is the most uncomfortable I've ever felt with that. The way that the film ends is utterly bemusing. You just do not understand how they could ever think that this was a, something which they could say and tell you as an ending point of a movie and it not just be like the most uncomfortable thing. I don't want to spoil it in case anyone does want to see this film. Right. But basically it involves death as okay. a kind of a black text thing. And you think, oh my goodness, why why on earth is this film being presented in this way? If what that's strange, what do you think he thought he was going to capture a bit of the Coen brothers? Because that's one of their tropes, isn't it? They like to follow criminals who are hapless and end up doing terrible things. But they are good at black comedy, so it feels like a comedy. Yeah, but it's, it doesn't ever highlight 
the Coen brothers, I think, managed to identify the darkness and portray it truly as dark. Right. But then there's other shades to it. This film, it only seems to have this sort of weird Miami sun-bleached colour to it. It doesn't have any darkness to it whatsoever, when really, right at its core, it's the most disgusting, awful evil and it's presented to you as fun and silliness. Sounds terrible, I have to say. And what's even more frustrating is that uh, it, there's a point in the movie when it pops up, this is a true story, this really happened, and it happens during one thing that The, the Rock is doing at the time in the film. Except that, I found out later, that that scene that they are doing, the, this really happened, didn't happen. <laughs> that's the that's made-up scene for the movie. They thought this needed a bit more. And that's when you start getting really uncomfortable because the scene which they had in is probably one of the horriblest ideas in the whole movie. Right. And it's presented as kind of casual and silly and he just doesn't, he's, a, he's unaware of what he's doing. And that's the moment when they say, yeah, this really happened, except it didn't. It's so confusing that as a movie. Strange. It's so bizarre. And at the same time, Mark Wahlberg is pretty good in it. At the same time, Dwayne The Rock Johnson is pretty good in it. All the cast is pretty fine. solid. And it is a competent movie in the sense that it tells a story. It just is a, an ugly story, a not very comfortable story, it makes and you a misjudged Because it makes you worry about what Michael Bay thinks about these characters and what he expects the audiences to feel, that kind of thing. Yeah, and the conclusion I have is the only way I can really respect Michael Bay is if he has kind of complete disdain for the audience and says, well, this is what you want, here you go enjoy this oh you mean so as in he hates this as much as you do yeah but he thinks this is what this is what audiences want and he'll make a movie and he'll just say so it's yeah. almost a piece of very high concept satire you mean oh i don't know well this you better hope thing. so i guess i kind of hope so that's the thing and it's just an odd film very odd, odd film i felt very uncomfortable yeah it's a it's a c minus i think okay man i mean i'm particularly sad to hear that about dwayne johnson because that doesn't fit the image i'm building of him his hollywood career where he's mr nice guy basically but i mean his character is presented as uh, a at the core, quite uh, an honest guy who gets completely uh, spun round and is is kind of almost simple in his mind. He doesn't okay. he doesn't really know what he's doing. But even that just seems totally completely off. Well, there you go. Another a, down, a thumbs down from Phil. Sorry, I've been like Mr. Negative, isn't it? It's <laughs> no, the heat. No, no, it's, it's interesting heat. to hear. Uh, listeners, let us know your thoughts on that. Uh, shall I carry on with slightly more upbeat with Terminator Two? Yeah, <laughs> Judgment Day. <laughs> Taken at the West Highland Police Station, 1984. You were there. Same model. These were taken today. You have to let me see my son. He's in great danger. New mission. Once he was programmed to destroy the future. What it's like to try to kill one of these things. Now his mission. Get down. Is to protect it. Mom! Come with me if you want to live. You're really real. His loyalty is to a child. Who sent you? You did. 35 years from now. And his enemy. He's a Terminator like you, right? Not like me. Is the deadliest machine ever built. Can it be destroyed? Unknown. This time, there are two. Terminator 2. You just can't go around killing people. Why? If you thought you had seen it all... Look again. Stay down! Go! Now! 
Schwarzenegger. Terminator 2, Judgment Day. This time, he's back. For good. Trust me. Trust me. What else the Now, what a great sequel this is. Listeners, James Cameron, director of the Titanic, of course, and Avatar, directed Terminator, blew the world away, and then came back and directed a sequel that, if anything, was a bigger success than the original. You just said, Phil, while the trailer was running there, how amazing, not only to create one iconic character, the Terminator, but to create two, to create one who works alongside the other character and somehow is even cooler. It's the liquid Terminator this time, made out of liquid metal that can turn his hands into blades, and he can melt through bars and all that kind of stuff. And you know, be a shapeshifter, take the form of anyone. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, I, I just think it's hard to imagine a franchise being able to invent new things that are just as good. Yeah, absolutely. Usually it will feel a bit tired, but it's very, it's very good. Anyway, we'll come on to that later. Listeners, so as the trailer said there, this is one where the previous Terminator failed when it got sent back in time to kill John Connor's mother because John Connor is the leader of the resistance. Actually, we shouldn't get bogged down in the timeline thing, should we? <laughs> no, it's yeah, all relevant. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Basically, the, another Terminator gets sent back slightly later than the event of the first film, this time to kill John Connor as a boy rather than to kill John Connor's mum. So Edward Furlong is Mr. Cool. He's a classic sort of 80s kid. You know, he's got, got the Leo problems. haircut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's super cool. Like he rides bikes and things. But at the same time, he's got problems. He just wants to be loved. And his mother is now in a mental hospital. Sarah Connor, having defeated the Terminator, she tries to tell people about Terminator and Skynet and she wants to stop it all from happening herself. So she's kind of become convinced that time travel or, or the timeline is a viable way to stop things from happening. So for you know her warnings she's locked up and she's treated as a mentally ill person and so there's this weird sort of family dynamic going on and i had to say right at the top there i'm impressed by this because one of the things you hate phil about sequels to great films is the way that lazy writing can sometimes modify something that happened in the original and make it different so they have an excuse narratively to do something. They reopen the wound. They reopen the scab. Exactly. So that what was resolved before wasn't really resolved. This one, they mean they're already in gold because it uses time travel. So there's no <laughs> they're need. They're in the clear. <laughs> exactly. They're completely in the clear. But even then, they don't do that. They just make it later. And Sarah Connor, you just follow her her line, don't you? She's the same person, but years later, dealing with the actual consequences of what happened to her. So the film didn't really, the storyline didn't really end when she defeated a, a ridiculous robot from the future. Actually, that probably would have psychological consequences and i like the way that the film genuinely feels like a continuation uh listeners i think i probably don't need to say too much about it because most of you will have seen it and if you haven't my sort of number one recommendation for you is that i watch this with uh, my wife and mother-in-law and it would be fair to say this isn't normally their kind of film both of them totally gripped by it even though this is a film <laughs> really yeah even though this is a film that's 30 years old now uh and is not in the genre they would normally watch they both loved it because it's just that well made james cameron absolutely knows how to build tension how to pace things and, and structure things so the narrative is clear so you always feel invested and so the stakes genuinely feel quite high and Arnold Schwarzenegger is a nice, simple character to follow. As a Terminator, he's compelling, I think. Isn't it strange that James Cameron, after the first one, immediately seems to have spotted the humour element? Because some of the best moments of the film are this robot, who's now a good guy, not understanding the real world. So you heard in that trailer there, John Connor having to say to him, look, it's not okay to kill people. And he's like, why? Why not? <laughs> <laughs> and there are some really fantastic moments like that. It's, it's just such an interesting evolution of the idea. And it, it really makes you respect, or it should make you respect, James Cameron as a filmmaker. And then on top of that, it won four Academy Awards. Did it really? Four. That's sound, two for sound and uh, one for... Special effects, surely. Exactly. One for special effects and one for makeup, which I guess is kind of special effects in a way. 
But technically, is a very accomplished film, though, isn't it? Well, especially for its use of CGI. And you, again, it's easy to forget this, that CGI was really in its infancy then. And it makes it so much more impressive when you think about the work and the innovative techniques that would have had to be involved for that. And it's strange because even though it is obviously dated and when you watch it now, it's obvious that it's um, you know early stage CGI. It still works. It's really weird because it was done in its context. It works. So this is the opposite of what I talked about last week about making when it ages well. Yeah, it's aged really well, and I think it's because they pushed the limits of what was possible at the time. Genuinely pushed the limits. Whereas today, when it's easy, you can spot a lack of effort because it just isn't convincing anymore, mm. and you know what people are capable of. The other thing to mention is it's a, a massive box office success because it took five hundred nineteen point eight million dollars against the budget of 102 which especially for the time that is big success man yeah yeah it's a great film it's really fun it's really really fun and the pivot away from sort of horror i think is impressive james cameron has a bit of a track record of doing this because he did it with alien as well he changed alien from a kind of horror film to an action film with yeah. the space marines he he kind of knows what he's doing this guy there's he's a reason really, why he yeah. gets these projects it's interesting because he's sort of stuck he seems to be stuck now because he's talking about all these endless avatar sequels and he just keeps retreading that ground. I, I slightly wonder what's happened to him because you slightly wish, or I slightly wish, he would go back and do something new again. What, just come up with a new property and just develop that? Yeah, it would be interesting, wouldn't it? Anyway, I think it's a great film. And even if you don't think Terminator is really your thing, there's a reason why it's iconic. There's a reason why James Cameron has gone on to, from basically from success to success and is considered, you know, Mr. Blockbuster. It's interesting. We've both done sort of blockbuster types, haven't we? James Cameron, there are similarities between him and Michael Bay. But James Cameron's infinitely better. Well, different, I think. I think as a person, it's interesting. I heard um, Garth Jennings, this is on the Adam Buxton podcast, which I listen to sometimes, who went to Skywalker Ranch to go and master, uh, I think, the sound or something for Sing, which we know how you oh, feel yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah. And he said while he was there, he was hearing a lot of stories about James Cameron. And apparently, or allegedly, so don't sue me or anything, I don't know, this is a reported story. He said something to some other engineer and said, you know, man, you've got a larger head than I am. So how come you're so much dumber than me? <laughs> <laughs> which is amazing i love that that's uh even that in itself is quite an impressive insult it's very well thought through so it's kind of like a modern well version of mark twain yeah it's kind of like really dumbed down anyway yeah so i think give it a go i think you'd be surprised how enjoyable it is and the violence isn't bad there's some bad language but it's classic stuff it's really classic uh one thing i will say is that there is a sequence towards the end that bugs me when I watch it, and I wonder how you feel about this, Phil. It's when they're investigating the sort of computer building towards the end, mm. and an armed response turns up to stop them. Mm. And Arnie just basically shoots up all these cars and messes everything up. And it's a big action spectacular with loads of explosions and everything else. But the sort of sequence of events doesn't make any sense to me. It's so clearly done for spectacle. I think it's a bit of a clunky scene. Uh, and I wonder what you'll think. Yeah, I think it is. I remember that scene, and it is a bit clunky, but it's kind of that's it's delivering on that big explosion promise. It's yeah. kind of have fun with explosions. That was the big thing in like the nineties, wasn't it? Exactly. So I'd say, other than dated cultural references, that is the only sequence that really shows its age. I think, and for me, it gets an A minus. Very enjoyable. So that's what we've been watching this week: Pain and Gain and Terminator Two. Give us your thoughts, plus ones, minus ones, and just your own opinion on the film as well. You can reach us at superbaileybros at gmail.com or you can tweet us at superbaileybros. Get in touch. That's what we'll be watching. They'll give us an email song. Emails are from the listeners. We get them every week.
Great job. I'm glad that was a slightly longer song than usual because we got far fewer emails than usual oh, no. this week. Kind of directly goes against the reason we had for releasing it on a Friday, which was to give people longer. People are just adjusting, you know, they didn't realise. <laughs> well, and... you're, you're quite right about that, at least, because Keefish has got in touch and said, what? Twice. I feel betrayed. Betrayed. Said. Oh, I gosh. Know. I mean, I welcome the change big time. This is Friday. But I was so ready to download the new episode on Monday. I only realised it's already released. Just now. So I think it's flummoxed people, Phil. We didn't really give a much of a sort of... Normally we like to tease these things about four or five weeks before we actually do yeah, and anything. and then not do them. <laughs> and then bring it up four months later. <laughs> yeah, and exactly. It. And then do it. So, I know, it's out of character for us, and we admit that. But Friday, I think... What was the reasoning behind Friday again? Uh, a few reasons. To be a bit more current. And because we record on a Thursday, it used to get released on a Monday, and then we record on Thursday, which only left three days between it going out and then recording the next one. Whereas this one, we more or less get a whole week, don't we? Yep, and hopefully you get some recommendations a bit sooner. Yeah, and time for the weekend. The yeah. weekend's film watching. This okay, is, like, he carries on. Sealed, King it? Arthur, ready? Oh, yes, cool. He says, it felt more like an endurance test of how much energy drink you can take over that 126 minutes of a deafening experience. Uh, I love Laurie's attempt on reenacting the combos in the film. Top notch. Top notch, bruv, yeah. <laughs> I like that. It was hard, hard to do. Yeah, I wasn't very good at it. I didn't think. Um, yeah, I actually that was a something I had said in uh, the print review. It felt like a feat of endurance just to make it all the way through. I'm really curious to know what other people think about King Arthur because he does say that opening sequence. I cannot not think about Lord of the Rings: Return of the King with the giant oliphants or oliphants. Is it copyright infringement? And yeah, Kufishus, I know exactly what you mean. The opening sequence. I think I mentioned as giant castle destroying elephants they do look a lot like those elephants at the end of lord of the rings and i can only assume there's some kind of classic design that they're using they're both using otherwise they might get in trouble yeah you can't you can't sue someone for having an elephant in your film well, can but you? it's a very specific design and <laughs> really? scale yeah i think they slightly get away with it by suggesting they're conjured beasts or conjured have you pronounced that word conjured yeah by conjured. magic you know is in their sort of summon yeah yeah I, I get, i'm, I'm not disagreeing with the word how do you pronounce that <laughs> conjuring trick you didn't say conjuring, do you? Yeah, you said conjured. I know, that's why I was trying to remember how to say it. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It's spelled conjured. <laughs> Another one in the great direction. annuals of Laurie saying stuff weird. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, yeah, so I slightly agree, but I did think it was a good sequence. I didn't mind it uh, being in there at all. Here's a little goof for you and the listeners. He goes on to say, Did you notice that at the ending, the Viking leader did an arms out shrug of submission just before kneeling? Then the camera switches to another shot from behind and he does exactly the same thing. No, I didn't. Good eagle eyes there, Confucius. I, I kind of like the goof sometimes. Sometimes I get a bit like, I'll give him a break. It's hard making films. But I think they're million dollar productions. You should really be able to cover your bases. Can you imagine it? Because it's one of those things. If you listeners have ever done anything creative, then you'll know how tough it is to edit and proof your own work because you're so close to it. And even with the hundreds of people involved in film production, I bet all of them get that way. Continuity is like an actual job like well, that exactly. somebody is in charge of. You should be imp- you should be very, very impressed if there are no goofs, basically. Uh, he's got more. Colossal. Hmm. Can I give you a plus and minus one, Laurie? Maybe we both need to rewatch Colossal and see if we like it more or like it less. But Phil, you might just get an automatic minus one if you don't go and see it. Oh, that's way harsh. I, I've, I've, here's the thing. There's loads of films which I've been wanting to see and Laurie's been able to go see them and I haven't been able to just because of life. I've got a bit of time off coming up, so I'm going to try and fit in all the movies that I've been missing. Okay, okay. You're, you're forgiven, Phil. And unexpectedly, that is where the show ends today because uh, my daughter has just apparently knocked her tooth almost completely out. So I've got a trip to A&E on the cards and there's not going to be any time to record the rest of this before it has to get published. How about that, Phil? There's life. That's what you've got to deal with. That and... is life. Life happens. 
my poor daughter. She's very sad about it. So I'm she's doing well. She's being very brave. Call I think. it quick. Uh, Confucius. We'll come back to the rest of your email and uh, the other uh, emails we got this week. We'll come back to that next week. It's going to be a little bumper email session. Uh, do stay in touch on superbellybros at gmail.com at superbellybros on Twitter. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Get off the road. Put it out, you fools. <laughs> What about their legs? They don't need those. Yeah, why can't we have some meats? <laughs> <laughs> Looks it, like meat's back on the menu, yeah, boys. Classic. There's my one hundred and eleventh birthday. I love that. <laughs> this hasn't quite gone how I pictured it somehow. But...